Welcome to A Life Invested, a podcast dedicated to helping you create the lifestyle of your dreams by investing in people, assets, and yourself. I'm your host, Roger Comstock. All right, my friends. Well, welcome. Welcome back to A Life Invested. I'm very, very grateful to have each and every one of you here, and I am incredibly grateful to have um, this wonderful person with us today. He is doing some big things in life and in business, and I feel appreciative that he was willing to come onto the show. We have uh, Mitch Whiting, who will join us today, and he is a self-proclaimed ordinary guy who has found a way to ex- uh, create extraordinary outcomes in his life. Excited to hear about each and every one of them. Uh, he was diagnosed with ADD as a kid and rejected from all three of the programs he applied to in business school and then ate the same lunch every day for 10 years. After discovering that ADD is a superpower and that your future does not equal your past, also that turkey sandwiches aren't the only good lunch, he was able to transform his life. Mitch ended up graduating from the very business school he was rejected from, landing at the largest company in the world, uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, marrying the girl of his dreams, becoming the father of two beautiful children, competing as an endurance trail runner, starting and scaling his coaching business to multiple six figures and realizing helping others become become more of who they really are was and is his greatest passion. And so thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Grateful to have you here. Yeah, I'm so grateful. This is so fun. It's so fun to spend time with you, to see you in real life, even though it's virtual. It's just good to be together. Dude, right back at you, man. Right back at you. Tell me uh, really quick and the listeners as well, if if they're wanting to learn a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing or building, where's the best place for them to go? LinkedIn. I create almost daily content on LinkedIn. Um, a lot of good stuff there. It's For me, that's one of the best places to engage and have community. And so I'm on there. It's me constantly chatting back and forth in comments, just connecting. So if you want to connect, find me on LinkedIn. Great. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you don't have a LinkedIn, it is such a great place to be networking with individuals. And so highly recommend first that you get a LinkedIn. Secondly, that you go follow our good friend here, Mitch Whiting. Um, I follow him on LinkedIn and he does put out some exceptional content of uh, stuff that'll help you be happier and more fulfilled in your life. And so make it a priority to do that. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing, Mitch. Yeah, I am a performance coach and I'm coaching specifically family-centered leaders and entrepreneurs uh, to do one of the hardest things that they have ever done as high performers. I found that it's very difficult to admit that you want and need more from life. And so I help them to admit that they want and need more from life because something at an unconscious level about admitting that we want more when you have, you know, a beautiful spouse and kids and you know, maybe a hyper high paying job, you've done really well in your career, you may have the house or the community that you've always wanted to live in. Um, You may have a relationship with God, you may have friends and family that love you. And to admit that you want more often feels like we're not being grateful for what we already have. But I found that true abundance is to appreciate with gratitude everything we have now and have open arms for all the abundance that's still meant for us. And from that place of admitting um, that we want and need more, I then help them become the man or woman that they're meant to be so they can do two things specifically, be happy with themselves and deeply present with their family. I absolutely love that. Um, sounds like a very meaningful and impactful message um, that you're sharing with people and helping people to live by. Uh, how did you kind of stumble upon that? Was it something that you had struggled with previously? And so you were able to overcome that. And now you feel like it's something you want to push out or what, what made you land there? 
Yeah, what I found was that many people, and who is now my ideal client, the people that I serve, they are challenged by the fact that God, family, friends, health, hobbies are their number one priorities, but that work remains their number one priority in practice. And they think that they have a commitment issue or a focus issue or a grit issue. And that if they could just rise and grind, get up at 530, get their workout in, read 10 pages, connect with God, have breakfast with the family, then they could go to work and be totally focused and committed and have grit and determination to get their projects done, get their email, email to inbox zero so that they can just put it all aside and go home and be deeply present with their family. But they often um, find that almost none of that happens on a consistent basis. And so the mistake they make is they set goals uh, to commit and to focus and to have some grit to show up in the way they want to show up. And they prioritize intensity over consistency and end up burning out. And they end up worse off than they were before setting goals because goals only work for 9% of people. And they end up asking themselves, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just be consistent? Why can't I keep the promises that I've made to myself? And the real problem is not that they have a grit or commitment or focus issue. It's that they're, they're spending a significant portion of their time in a state of stress, anxiety, overwhelm, self-doubt, hesitation, procrastination, judgment, shame, and comparison. And if they could get that time back, then everything changes in their life. And that was my story. That was absolutely my story. That's how I got into this was I was at uh, the doctor's office getting a, a allergy shot in my rear end because it snows pollen in Arkansas. It's pretty brutal. And uh, I was at the doctor's office and the doctor asked me a pretty simple question that ended up being one of the most profound questions that changed my life. And it was on a scale of one to 10, how stressed are you? I know for a fact, she didn't think anything of it, but as I thought about it and all the things I was grateful for, right, that it was hard for me to admit that I was living a stressed life because I had so much gratitude. And I said, probably two out of 10. And my wife was with me, who is so authentic and so precise. And she said, are you kidding me? You're like a nine. And it hit me so hard. And it was that it was like that moment where you're sharing your love story and you have differing details between spouses and it's really awkward. And it was that times a thousand where I was like so off on my own well-being. And I was talking to a mentor uh, shortly after that. And he said, you're Mitch Whiting. You love people like I've never seen. You are a high achiever. You're this, you're that. But do you realize you view yourself as a wounded bird? And it was the second data point to know that I wanted life to be different and that I wanted and needed more from life. And that that's when my journey really began becoming obsessed with um, what ultimately became a few simple steps and distinctions and fundamental principles that radically transformed my life where I was able to reclaim the amount of hours I was spending each week in what I now call a primal state of the stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. Man, I, uh, I appreciate this message big time. I think it's so, um, it, it is needed so desperately right now, especially in a world where everyone is constantly comparing right to other people. So they're getting on social media and they're feeling like they're just not good enough. And everybody is constantly looking to the next big thing instead of recognizing and being grateful for the fact that 
where they where they're at right now maybe where they wanted to get to right five years ago and just um kind of enjoying that process what's what's some of the um methodology that you utilize or the frameworks that you use to be able to help people kind of get out of this funk of feeling like um either it, this feeling of like it's not okay to want more right that feels too greedy i shouldn't want that or feeling like they're not good enough what are some of the things that you teach yeah, first I'll say I love what you just said. And Epicurus, one of the ancient Stoics, said it very similarly, which was, remember that that which you have now was once among the things you only hoped for. So I think that if we just close the podcast now and just remember to be present and grateful and practice gratitude, we'd all be a lot better off because we would trade you know, expectation for appreciation and just be able to be, be just be able to be present and appreciate everything around us. But um, going beyond what you said and what Epicurus said, I am identifying right now in my life that there are three types of self. There is primal self, which is our carnal nature, our, um, our natural man, our desires that we don't like. It's the part of us that we don't like the primal self. And then there is a strategic self, which is the, the calculated self, the version of ourself that is a better version of who we are. It's who we're trying to be to make it in this world and to create the goals and the dreams that we want. But it's not um, the ultimate form of self, which is what I'm calling now our real self. And this journey in this life is to discover our real self and we do that by stripping away everything that's not us. So Michelangelo sculpted the famous sculptor, David, and in different words, he said that he didn't sculpt David, but rather he took away everything that wasn't David. And that's the journey of discovering your real self of stop trying to become a better version of yourself, stop comparing and trying to become other people and just focus on being just on who you are. And so I, you know, I help people with a few different frameworks through really learn how to self-coach because, you know, in coaching, it's a really powerful experience. And there's a lot of magic that happens in a coaching session when you discover the core beliefs, limiting beliefs that are unconsciously sabotaging your life that you view as facts that just aren't true. And when from there are able to transform them, but the real magic happens in between sessions when my clients learn to self-coach and create their own breakthroughs consistently. And that's where you get all of your time back so that you can live consistently in a powerful state rather than this primal state. I love that, man. Thank you. Where do you think the mindset of scarcity uh, derives from, right? Like, cause like you said, there's people that have so much in life, but they feel bad feeling like, if you're like, oh man, I would love to make more money or I would love to go on these vacations or I'd love kind of these luxuries. None of those things, most of the things in life we don't need, right? Like if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we basically need like food, shelter, water. And there's countries where that's basically all they have. They've got water to drink and very little food and they're happy campers, right? They right above that. They need security and safety. And so Real most of the time people say like, oh, I need I need a new car or I need a new thing. Like we don't need those things, right? Or the, I need a new house. That's been really interesting. There's data that shows like from the past however many years, I, I wish I could remember the exact amount of years, but square footage of homes has gone up drastically, right? <laughs> because people think they need a new house. 
Um, and they don't need it, but they want it and it's okay to want things. It's okay. And, and so how do you, how do you, uh, help people work through this feeling of like, oh man, um, you know, I, I do want more money. I do want another car or a, a different house. Yeah, there is a, uh, a, a principle that my wife and I discovered a few weeks ago in Tulum, Mexico. It's the a place that, uh, contains beautiful ancient Mayan ruins. And one of the coolest things, one of the things that we think is the coolest part of this, this cool sacred place is the fact that there's iguanas. And we did not grow up surrounded by iguanas. And so the first iguana we saw was really magical. It was, we left our kids at home. And so we were pulled out our video camera and we were taking video and just kind of freaking out, looking at each other like, can you believe this? This is so cool. And then within an hour and by the 40th iguana, it was just another lizard. And we couldn't believe it, how we had just immediately, like within an hour, become acclimated and accustomed to thinking it's just another lizard so fast and our brains do this. They acclimate and they love equilibrium. Um, it loves, uh, to be comfortable because it's at a deeper level, it's wired for survival and at a less deep level, it's wired for efficiency for survival's sake. And it's efficient to be comfortable and to know your surroundings and to, you know, to take for granted what's around you. If anything is a non-threat, the brain basically says it's not important right? Because it's here to protect you. And so I think that's what happens. Like we, we get this new thing and it's no longer, it's not identified as a non-threat and it becomes our normal. Well, you might just be thinking that it is just another lizard because it's just an iguana. But I remember the same thing happening when I spent some time in Africa uh, with elephants on a safari, which are, is arguably one of the most majestic and incredible creatures on planet earth. And by the 200th elephant, I remember being in conversation and being like, oh, look, there's some more elephants. And then just continuing the conversation and just realizing, what am I saying? How am I not appreciating this elephant? And so this, you know, this discovery a few weeks ago is what we call the principle of the first iguana, which is when we focus on being present in the moment and practicing gratitude, then every sunrise, every sunset, every conversation, every breath can be as exciting and beautiful as the first iguana that it's not the job title, the salary increase, the new house, the new car that brings happiness, but rather it's our thoughts, our thinking. And so at, uh, as like to share the core principle that I think can be a takeaway here is the reason why we chase new things, thinking they will make us happy. It's because of a fundamental misunderstanding that the circumstances in our lives do not create our emotions. Circumstances are truly neutral. For example, I'll ask you this question and just tell me whatever comes up for you. Does death make someone sad? What would you say? What, what comes up in your mind? I would honestly, truly, I'd say it depends. It depends on what's, what's important to them, their belief systems, uh, how they were raised, what they believe happens after death. And so those thoughts will create a feeling, you know, based off of how they choose to address the. the yes. Question. Yeah. And that's spot on. And that, that distinction that you have right there is what most of us walk around not knowing. The typical immediate response is that death makes us sad. That's our knee jerk reaction. And if somebody 
that you love deeply passed away a few hours ago, but you don't know about it, how do you feel in this moment? You wouldn't feel anything. You don't feel anything, right? So the circumstance, which is things outside of our control, it's the past, it's other people, it's the weather. They don't create our emotions because death happened, but you don't feel anything. It's only when someone tells you or you find out that you begin to have thoughts about it, right? And assign meaning to that experience, which is what we call belief. And when you have beliefs and thoughts, it's your thinking that creates your emotions. And so it's the thinking of what the new car will bring, what it will mean about me or what it will mean about my life. It's the new house and what it might mean to my kids or my family. Um, But it's not the circumstance that ever truly brings us happiness or sadness. It is always our thinking. I love that, Mitch. Yeah, I'm I'm going to dive deep for just a second here. I think it's interesting. We are talking a little bit about maybe where some of these limited um, or limiting belief systems derive from in people's lives. And I think, um, unfortunately they still, we're, we're programmed, right. As, as kids based off of, uh, what we're watching, what's entering our mind is programming the way that we will, um, look at or perceive our, our perceptions and our paradigms and our parents telling us certain things or the schools telling us certain things, all these affect the way that we view the world. And what's interesting is a lot of people grow up. Um, I'm I'm a religious person. Uh, I'm LDS, and I uh, I believe God wants people to have abundance. I I know that's the case, right? But a lot of people believe like money is the root of all evil, right? It's a bad thing to have, and that stops them from getting more. And one of the things I I think that's interesting is that if people follow Jesus because he's the man, the guy was a legend, right? He's the best, the best of the best. One of the things he says is like, ask and you shall receive. What do you want? He, cause I think of the way that I feel when I give something to someone and it, it's the best feeling ever. Someone says money can't buy happiness. They haven't given enough away, right? Like it, it makes you happy to give it away. It's really, really good. But Jesus, if I love to give, how much more is he going to want to give God? He's going to, he loves to give. And so he's basically saying, don't just ask me what you need. I know what you need. Like he literally says, what do you want? He doesn't, there's no caveat in that verse. That's like, Hey, only ask me for the things like you need to survive. And then I will grant them to you, but only what you need. He says, ask and you shall receive just very open-ended. What do you want? Right. In life, it's very open-ended. Um, seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you. And then one of the things that really struck me as important, and I want to kind of dive deep into this with you. Um, cause it's just, this is super important. Um, whether people say, it's God or the universe. I, I believe it's God. But if we look at Matthew 14, it's very interesting. Jesus just had one of the worst days of his whole life ever. His best friend just passed away. John, his cousin, beheaded. He just got news. Just like you said, got news. Man, that affected him because they were good friends. And he wanted to be alone for just like one second, right? <laughs> so like he starts to walk away and everybody starts following him. And if it were me... Um, I've mentioned this before, I think on the show, but I mean, if it were me, I would have been like, yo, I need a little bit of space here. Like, give me just a second. One of my best friends just passed away, but it's really cool. It says Jesus turned around and had compassion on them. He sees these people and he's able to really, he was really good at regulating his state, right? His emotional state. He was super good at, um, I want to be more like him in so many ways, but that's one of them, right? Like sometimes my thoughts affect my emotions big time. Um, and it can be distracting. I'm sure that's what you're helping people with. Uh, But one of the things that I really, really love about Jesus, because we learned so much about his character, we learned about God 
here. What's what's interesting is these people, he turns around, he helps them, he heals them, he talks to them, he teaches them, and it's been a long day. His disciples come back to him and they say, hey, Jesus, it's late. Everybody needs to go home. We've been here all day. Everybody needs to go home, right? And Jesus says, no, we need to feed them. They need food, right? We need to give them some food. They got, maybe they got a long hike home or whatever it may be, but they need to eat. And and uh, so he says, bring what you have, right? And so you got the two fish, the five loaves, the 5,000 people. I, I want to talk about abundance because this is so cool to, to what you teach. But these people bring what they, they've got, not a lot, <laughs> not a lot, not even to feed 10 people, right? Two fish, five loaves, tricky. But what's interesting is um, he says, basically, bring what you've got, bring everything that you have. And he multiplies it big time. And that's where the story usually stops for people, right? They're like, oh, cool. He fed, he fed 5,000 people with two loaves or with two fish and five loaves. Like, that's such a cool story. Jesus does miracles. But what I love so much about what you're teaching, um, I think it's very much so in line with God's character. Because what's interesting is there's, there's a piece of the, the verse, um, when this is happening, this story, and it says that the people ate until they were filled, which is weird. Like, why would that be included? Right. But it's so cool because you'd think, okay, if Jesus was concerned about the amount that was there, he may have said something like, Hey, everybody just take a little nibble, right? Everybody, we don't have a lot. Like just take a tiny little bite, pass it to your neighbor because we only have a small amount of food. But they basically had Thanksgiving dinner. They ate until they were full. They were stuffed. The cool thing is he he tells his disciples, he says, now everybody go back out and gather up the leftovers. They gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. I'm thinking, why leftovers? Right? Like, why are there why is there so much left over? <laughs> right? Like <laughs> Two, two fish, five loaves, 5,000 people, there shouldn't be leftovers, but that's God, right? Like God is that way, which is so cool. And I love that. And so I love this whole idea of what you're teaching people about. Like, it's okay to, it's okay to want more. It's okay to want to do good things, to want to have more than what you just need to be able to give back. What are your thoughts about that, Mitch? Sorry, it was a long story, but what are your yeah, thoughts about that? Yeah, it's beautiful. I think true abundance is to appreciate all that you have while having open arms for all that our father still has for you. How, how, so do, you, it, how do you do that? Do you think like for yeah. the listeners? Yeah, I, um, I, I think the foundation um, outside of awareness is self-awareness is to have self-acceptance, which is to eradicate shame from your mind which is something that pervades each of our brains constantly for me, for you, for everybody. And the challenge is not that we have shame. The challenge is that we're unaware of it. And that's why it's a pervasive issue. And the best way that I've been able, the most simple way I've been able to identify shame is by saying should is a shame word. And need to, have to, got to, and must our shame in disguise. So anytime any of those words cross my mind, I just recognize it as shame. And you have two options from there. One is to say it's shame. And then you say, 
I don't have to do this. So I think like we're talking on the topic of God, like daily prayer is a common practice for those who believe in God. Um, they, people often like to pray in the morning and they like to pray at night. There's even verse of scripture that invites us to do that. And it's not uncommon to get in bed and be totally exhausted and to say, oh, I should say a prayer, right? I think everyone has had their experience that, that follows God. And that's fine. You can get up and say a prayer, but it's shame that you should say a prayer. And so instead, the response to combat shame, which is to apply grace, is to say, I, sh- I don't have to pray. Because it's not that our past should have been different, but that it could have been different, right? We always had a choice, which means that our past doesn't have to equal our future, which suggests that it's not that our future should be different. We can keep doing exactly the things we're doing now. It's fine. It's okay. We have choice, but that it can be different. And so it's not that we should pray. It, the, the truth is we don't have to, but we can and we want to. That's typically what happens as I, as I just, every time I experience shame, I say, nope, I don't have to do that, but I can, and I want to. And there have been nights where I said, I don't want to, and it's okay. And I go to sleep knowing that God's not up there saying, I can't believe you didn't pray. You should have prayed, right? The woman in adultery came to him and he didn't say, you shouldn't have done that. He said, go and sin no more. You're, you know, not that it should be different, but it can be. You're clean. Your faith has made you whole. And so I just think that the more we eradicate shame, the more we combat it with grace, then we're able to see more clearly. And from there, we can appreciate what we have, not thinking that we should be further along or we shouldn't have done this or we should do this. And that allows us to have abundance because we can appreciate who we are, where we're at. And one of my favorite verses of scripture is the, is the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Good Samaritan came, it says, and he, he came where he was. And so we can come to ourselves where we're at rather than wishing we were somewhere else or wanting to be something greater or have more things and just appreciate the abundance that we have, knowing that God has so much more from us, but that we don't need to be something different than we are. And by coming from that state, we can become something that we're not, which is not a better version of yourself, but really just more of who you are. I like that. Um, I also love your kind of ideas around like self-awareness and learning, learning who we are. Like you mentioned, as you've gotten old, like one of the things that I really appreciate about you and me are, we're not old, but as we grow older, as we get, as we uh, grow older, we learn new things. And as I learn more, I recognize how very little I really know. And I become more self-aware about all there is out there. And I love you. You mentioned there's the primal self, the strategic self and the real self. Uh, And I love this idea of the statue of David, right? Like not feeling like, uh, you have to figure out what's in there more of just kind of moving things away till you see what's what's actually the the, the true picture right um i think life has a tendency of doing that for us right like we we go through life and there's things that are kind of peeled away and we we learn more about who we are and what really matters to us through life's experience and uh there's something really 
um, fulfilling and meaningful about not always feeling like uh, you've got to reach the next next goalpost. So it's okay, like you say, it's it's really really an important message. Um, I don't need to feel like I should want more. Like if you have what you got, you don't need to be like I should want more. No, but you can choose to, and it's okay if you do. And it doesn't mean that you have to wait for happiness because that's the, that's the challenge I think we're in today, especially in our society, Mitch. And I think you're probably seeing this too in your coaching, but I think we live in a society where people are just hyper-focused on wanting um, happiness in some future experience. And right? achievement. Like, yeah. When I get this, I'm going to be happy when I get yeah. this job, when I get this pay, when I have these kids, when I have whatever it may be. And so it's this elusive rat race that people are on. They're like little gerbils in a hamster wheel constantly their whole lives. And if they chase it their whole lives, they'll never get it. So they'll get to the end of their lives feeling like, man, I wasn't happy because I was always chasing this feeling. Right. And so I love, I love what you're explaining this idea of like, um, and I mentioned this actually in my last podcast with, uh, I think you're actually in his group. We had um, John Moore from here, Brotherhood. Brotherhood. He was he was on the show, and we talked a little bit about this. But there's a great book called The Gap and the Gain, and I think <laughs> people need to be able to feel like, man, where I'm at right now, this is this is really good, and I'm going to keep progressing and moving forward. Um, I, I really like what you talked about with how should is a shame word. How did you come up with that? Um, and, and is that something that you kind of teach people as well? Yeah, it's, it's very foundational to my coaching because I don't believe we can see ourselves clearly until we come to this place of observing with fascination, curiosity, and grace instead of judgment, guilt, and shame. It just clouds our vision. And what happens is we, when we do not see ourselves clearly through the lens of grace, which is where clarity comes from, then what ends up happening when we learn to start observing our mind, which is required to transform our core beliefs, we have to have awareness we're ever going to change. That from this dirty lens of shame, we judge ourselves and we shut off the process because I think it's Brooke Castillo that talked about this analogy of observing your mind for most people when they start is like opening up your brain, turning on a flashlight, looking around at your thoughts and seeing an unsupervised toddler with a knife sabotaging your life. And we start to judge ourselves and say like, I can't believe I think that about my wife or I can't believe, you know, I did that. I shouldn't have done this. I should be this way. Like I'm not keeping promises to myself. Like I'm a failure. When is, you know, when am I going to be good enough? And all these, these, shameful judging thoughts come. So what do we do? Nobody wants to clean up after an unsupervised toddler with a knife. It's scary. So we shut off our brain, we turn off the flashlight and we leave and we go now do something to avoid feeling something or thinking something, which is called buffering. So we go scroll social media or we go eat the sugar. We told ourselves we wouldn't. We go overeat. We go watch Netflix, which all of these things are totally good just not as a form of avoiding feeling something. And when you, when you are able to feel any emotion, then there's nothing you can't do. And that starts with grace instead of shame. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, boy, I, I really, really appreciate that. And I really also like, maybe we'll have one more question here, Mitch, um, maybe one or two, but 
I love the idea of not associating meaning to certain thoughts. So there's a great book. There's lots of great books um, about these these kind of ideas. Uh, one is called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Uh, really, really good because it's we can actually observe ourselves, right? And like you said, that's that's something that requires some effort and it, some work. I've been in therapy for a long time, and that's one of the things that challenges being able to actually like step outside of. Uh, there's somebody or like, like being able to see uh, what's going on inside of our, our minds and not to get enveloped uh, in kind of the the wash. Uh, there's there's a, a monk. Uh, it's it's Teek Nan. Uh, I can't remember the, his first name, but really good. One of the things he talks about in, in one of his books, I wish I could remember it, but he says oftentimes, because I love what you've, you've taught us here today, Mitch, it's so good. Oftentimes we kind of get enveloped in this. If there's a waterfall, just imagine those that are listening, imagine being at the bottom of the waterfall where all that wash is, right? All that, uh, say it's a 200 foot waterfall with gallons and gallons of water coming down. And you're at the very, very bottom in that kind of white mess, right? You're, you're trying to breathe, come out. It's hitting you. It's a lot of weight. That That's a, that's stressful, right? That's not very peaceful to be there. It's like, oh man, this is not good. Uh, but if uh, now imagine there being like a cave behind the waterfall, you know, and being able to simply sit inside of the cave and observe just the water falling, right? Just to be a quiet observer of what's happening. And you'll learn a whole lot about the waterfall that way. Um, and, in our lives, it's a really important thing that you mentioned and that I love. We don't have to associate meaning meaning to a particular thought. If a thought comes in, like, and that's where shame comes too. Somebody will have a thought and they're like, oh man, I shouldn't have thought that. That's bad. Now I'm, this is bad. And this is so, all these things that just cause this tailspin, right? But if they're just able to simply remove themselves from the thought and recognize that's not who I am as a human, that thought was there. It passed just like the dro droplets of water, right? It passed. That's interesting, right? It doesn't mean anything about uh, me, right? As a person, just an interesting thought. doesn't mean I should or shouldn't or am or am not, just a thought, right? Um, and that really makes a big difference. Huh? Uh, this, it, it really speaks to a, a one more book, uh, James Allen wrote, As a Man Thinketh, and he says, your mind is a garden, your thoughts are the seeds, you can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. So out of those thoughts, we can choose kind of what to ruminate on and whatever we ruminate on will kind of start to blossom. And it could be, those could be weeds or flowers, <laughs> right? We, we really want to focus on the, on the flowers, you know? And, um, so I just, man, I sure appreciate everything you've shared today, Mitch. It's been, I wish you were here in Utah, dude. I'd like to hang out with you. You're a good, you're a good person. Um, you're, you're my kind of person, dude. I love, I love everything that you're sharing and what you're doing for people. You're making such a, positive impact in people's lives um let me ask you uh maybe two more questions i'll let you go but uh, number one um if you could give advice this is one of my favorite questions i love it if you give advice to the 20 year old mitch what would you go back and tell him mm. For those listening, I'm just giving Mitch time to think here. Um, 
So don't worry that the, the, the sound didn't go off. You're still here. Mitch is just thinking. Yeah, there are so many things. I, um, when I was in Mexico, my wife and I were exploring cenotes, which are these unique underwater caves um, that are found in the Cancun, Tulum, Playa del Carmen area of the world. And we're about a mile in, and the guide invites us to turn our lights off on our headlamps. And he turns his flashlight off, and we're in pure darkness. And it was really cool, really surreal to be in true darkness because it's not something we experience with the amount of light pollution that we have in, in, in these days. And the fascinating thing about the human brain is that darkness provides a unique opportunity for our imagination, which I think that there's a lesson in there, right? In our dark times, we can imagine a greater future that can create empowering emotions because we've talked about earlier that our thoughts create our emotions. But what I experienced is that my eyes immediately started seeing the cave around me, which I knew was not possible because I was in true darkness. And after you know, about 60 seconds of this, of just seeing this cave around me, it started to fade. But I realized that I was getting a headache as it faded because I was still trying to see it. I wanted to see it. And I realized later that a lot of our pain and suffering comes from trying to see what's not meant for us to see. This idea that we are not okay with living in darkness and that we have to know the path and we have to fight and hustle and grind to achieve the thing when our pain can subside, which is what happened for me. My headache went away as soon as I focused on being in the moment and I closed my eyes and I focused on my breathing and I had this deep appreciation for what it meant to be alive. And my wife was next to me and I heard her breathing and I felt this deep appreciation for her and my family. And then I heard the other people in the cave with, with me and I felt this deep appreciation for community and all the people that I love. And then I felt this deep appreciation for light and for the color that it brought in my life and for the people's faces that I could not see now, but that I could remember and the people that I love. And this peace didn't come because I was experiencing anything other than just being in my own soul in the silence of my own soul and just being present. And, and sure enough, like a few minutes later, after experiencing this true darkness, our guide turned the light on and he showed us the path out. And there is so much purpose in the darkness, in the pain, in the suffering, in the adversity that we experience. And as we become okay with it without judging or shaming ourselves or struggling or for not being perfect then we can just focus on our breathing and being in the moment and from there the light will illuminate the path god will guide us mentors will guide us family and friends will guide us and it's it's coming everything's coming for you everything good everything beautiful the future is bright um and we can live in darkness in the abundance of what we have even if it's very little knowing that there's so much more abundance still coming for us. I love this. Thanks so much, Mitch. I'm going to see if I can find this, uh, 
Oh, here we go. Yeah, this is great. Um, this is perfect. This guy named Loud Zoo. This is it's it's just perfect uh, as far as what you just explained. We tend to just constantly be in a hurry in life, don't we? And it's uh, it's just like miserable to feel that way. <laughs> like I gotta be doing this right now. Like I gotta do this and this and this and this. Millions of things all the time, every day. We can't sleep because we got to do more, right? Um, we wake up and we're tired because we couldn't sleep. We we want everything now because that's what we're conditioned to feel and believe, right? And so I let this th that end kind of point you just shared, like everything good is coming. I just want to share a very, very quick story and then end with one question because uh, this is just so important. Um, I'll, I'll share the story and then read this quote by Lao Tzu. It's so good. But as a, as a young boy, I think it was like third grade, probably second or third grade, but it was it was a blast. Uh, we'd go into like the, in elementary school, they gave you like these little bean cups and like tiny red Dixie cups, right? You put like topsoil inside of them. And as a kid, I'm still I'm still a nerd. I'm just fascinated by nature. It's the coolest thing. But like you're you're putting these little bean sprouts inside, and everybody puts little droplets of water on. You put them under this little lamp, um, and every day, like people come into the classroom, all of your little classmates, and you're seeing if your bean sprout grew. And sometimes other people's bean sprouts will grow faster than yours you know and you're like dang i'm watering mine right like I, it's getting everything that it needs and how come they're getting their little sprout coming out um and it makes you feel like you might be doing something wrong or uh something that you wonder why they have something that you don't especially if you put in the work all these all these kind of weird thoughts right that then become emotions as a kid um that we can learn to manage um and that takes work man managing emotions takes work right but so cool. Um, Lao, Tzu, Lao Tzu, he says, nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. Um, and I love this. There's no hurry in nature. You go up to the mountains, it's beautiful. There's nothing being rushed. When I think of Jesus, it's so cool. He was the man. He's just so great. I don't ever imagine, not one time have I imagined coming to him and him being like, sorry, Raj, I've got a uh, TED talk over in Jerusalem, right? I can't talk to you, right? I've got, I, come to me tomorrow, <laughs> right? When, when I've got some time or sorry, I'm writing down, I'm etching things into this stone and I don't have time. I'm writing my journal right now. And so I can't, it's, it's, he always had time. Like, that time was like this unlimited resource to him. Everybody's constantly stressing about what could happen, what might happen. It's all of those futuristic kind of ideas that cause this anxiety and he just simply says like take therefore no thought for tomorrow don't even worry about tomorrow <laughs> right Tom tomorrow will take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the days that are evil that sufficient unto the days the evil thereof you don't need to worry about those things and so i just really appreciate your insight that way right like um people in business right now to those listening a lot of times people fail in business simply because they just give up Right, that's what happens. They they just they start to lack belief. Like we talked, they start feeling like I can't do this. That's one of the worst words somebody can use. Can't, because like now I'm gonna just go back to God. With God, all things are possible. Like you can do anything. You can do like anything. And so the bottom line is, it's gonna be tricky. It's gonna be challenging. There's gonna be work to do. But like you can you can build anything. Um, it's really really cool to know that. And I love that you're empowering people to understand that about themselves. Uh, really cool. Okay, last question for you. Um, how would you define one, success, and two, happiness, and why? Yeah, success. Uh, I'll give you a formula which it relates to business and how to be successful in business. And it, and it highlights the true 
formula for success, which is in one word, I created the anti-goal mindset. So that is how to achieve massive results without setting goals. So I'm one of the most opposed to focusing on achievement people that you'll ever meet, right? It's very much all about becoming. And But if there were one goal to write down and pursue, it would be to become. Hmm. And specifically like to become more of who you really are, not again, the strategic self or some better version of yourself, but to become the real self, more of who you really are. And here's the formula that will lead you to success in business and in life. Because the ultimate, I mean, purpose of business is to make money, is to exchange value for money, right? And that's what keeps us being able to stay in business because we can provide for our needs. Well, when you become more of who you really are, there's more of you to give. You expand yourself. And when you give more to the world, the world calls that value. And what does the world exchange for value? It's money. And so when we let go of the need for money, or achievement, or the growth, and we focus on becoming, specifically the ultimate form of becoming is to become someone who helps other people become, then we're serving without attachment, because there's no achievement to be attached to. We're just, we're loving without judgment. We're full of curiosity for the needs and pain that other people are suffering through. And we go and serve from a place of love and being without needing anything from anyone. And intent always shines through. People feel that. And you, you create this insane amount of value that you get way more. I feel like I, as a coach, I get way more uh, because, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but the National Institute of Applied Behavioral Science has this, this thing called the learning pyramid. And it shows different uh, average retention rates for different form of, forms of learning from a scale of active to passive learning. And we only retain 5% of what we receive in lecture but we retain 90% of what we teach others. And so on this journey of becoming someone who helps other people become, you have the joy of helping them become more of who they're meant to be, which is just really who they are. But all along the way, as you are guiding and helping other people, you retain 90% then you become, and it's just the cycle of becoming more of who we really are. And as we do, we have the prosperity. We, you know, we're able to live with passion and deepen our relationships and experience true success, which is just being able to sit in the silence of your own soul and to feel love for those around you and for yourself and for God. Mitch, brother, thanks for being on the show, man. This has been so good to have you here. And I have truly, I have really appreciated everything that you have shared. I think it's very meaningful. I feel so happy for individuals that get the opportunity to work with you and to learn from you and to become uh, because of you. I love that idea of uh, anti, anti-goals. anti It's uh, super cool. It's different and kind of like Richie Norton, right? Anti-time management. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're launching a project together and have That's a unique, awesome. unique, um, I think, proprietary methodologies that as we combine them is going to create a lot of impact for people. We're excited. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, thank you for being on the show. I just appreciate you. I hope everybody was able to glean a whole lot of important information. They had your notepads and pens out. But uh, Mitch Whiting, thanks for being on the show today, brother. Thank you so much. Love you, brother. You too, man. Thank you, brother.